Welcome to the 75th episode of Kiwi and the Bird Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we're going to go into an in-depth discussion about the political and lion-hearted Swordcatcher by Cassandra Clare. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Here's how our book discussions work. We're going to try to fit in all of our thoughts and feelings for Swordcatcher in just half an hour, except Taylor and I have a lot of thoughts, so it's probably going to be more than that. We always say half hour just because it's like we want to give an option for you to leave. It's like, we'll, we'll give you a baseline. We'll give you a baseline. Yeah, that's our minimum. And it's it's definitely <laughs> not the maximum. <laughs> Now, if you like this episode or the show or what we do, we would love to have your support. And so we would really, really, truly and honorably appreciate it if you so happened to donate to us. Yeah, like a dollar. Great. Yeah, a dollar. I'd I'd even take 75 cents. What? No. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, let's aim higher. (laughs) I have standards, okay? But now, as we discuss everything about Swordcatcher, and I mean everything that Taylor and I care about, which will be spoilery, here's your one and only spoiler Spoiler alert. Kami, would you like to give us your favorite thing of all time, a spoiler alert sound effect? (laughs) And now, on to the show. Now, this is going to be an interesting introduction to this book discussion, because if you've listened to past book discussions, then you know we love to start things off with the romance, because romance is in the end what we truly care about, even though we will live and die on the fact that we don't. But this book, the romance is not a huge... Well, okay. There are romantic aspects to the book, but it's not a huge factor in the book. But let's still try to kind of start in that category. We will go into different. We will bleed into different topics, but we're going to pretend like we're organized first. I want to start out with Kellyan Kel, because why was he so confusing? (laughs) Are you a playboy or are you committed? You know, and I I think especially because like his main trait is loyalty. Granted, it is to Connor, but you would expect that to bleed into other aspects of his life. And so I was expecting him to be like a very committed lover Kind of. Like, sure, he lost his virginity at 15 in a brothel to a red-headed courtesan. He's, like, surprisingly dedicated to her, but then he makes out with two other people but is pining for a completely separate person. Mm-hmm. I wanted that... T- I wanted him to be just committed to one, you know? It's like, you're loyal. Like, that is your trait. Do that. But, with that said, I did like his pining for Antonetta. I thought, like... I liked it. The whole thing where, like, we were childhood friends. Like, she was the first one that he saw when he first came to the palace. Like, they, they played together. They were, like, in a friend group. She was the only girl. But then they grew up. Things changed. And, like, she, like, basically rejected him. But you could tell, like, the reader, as a reader, you could tell that rejection wasn't real. There's just a lot there, right? There's this particular scene, too, with them, right? At the kind of like at the beginning of the book where Connor goes to a brothel after I think it's the speech that he gives to the people um in which you kind of learn more about like the debauchery of the nobles and of the prince and everything and you see Antonetta there 
Like, why, why is she here? She's pure. <laughs> this is scandalous. And, you know, things ensue, which, I mean, are so, I, I suppose are important to the plot. But basically, Kellyan goes off with his red-headed courtesan who took his virginity. Her name is Scylla. <laughs> you know, they kind of, he goes up with her, you know, for what courtesans do. He, he kind of lets Antoinetta know, too, that he's going to leave with her. Yes. There's kind of, like, some petty jealousy angstiness there. Yes. I forgot about that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but they think the moment, because they're kind of, like, getting a little hot and heavy, and then all of a sudden Antoinetta comes and interrupts Kellyanne because it's like, oh, no, something happened to Connor, which, you know, is obviously his priority. And so, but she, like, she caught him in, like, I think kind of a naked moment. Well, his <laughs> pants were, I guess, not on. They were un untethered. I, I was trying to think of unzipped, but we're in medieval. Yes. Unstrung? I don't know. What ties pants? He was exposed. Because <laughs> things, again, were getting kind of hot and heavy. You know, Antoinette, she's kind of like aghast because it's like the boy she loves. He doesn't know that. But the boy she loves is <laughs> The courtesan just interrupt him because things are happening. But it's the way because the courtesan kind of like starts talking to her too. You know, kind of like mentioning things. And like she like says something suggestive to Antoinetta. And almost kind of like making fun of her in a way. She's kind of like making fun of her pureness. And then Kel, like without even thinking about it, defends her. And he goes like, don't talk to her like that. (sighs) The angst. The angst in that moment. The whole thing between them. He's caught with another woman. The petty jealousy, but the instant reaction to defend her honor. Yeah, he wants to pretend like she means nothing to him, that ever since that night she broke things off, that his heart was turned off. But then even like in the in the spare moment, he still loves her. He still has, well, does he love her? I don't know. There's a lot of things going on. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but he still defends her. He still instantly reacts in her favor. That No, that scene, I was like, no, this is good. I like you. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing with Kel is that he was kind of like a committed playboy. But that doesn't, that's an oxymoron. But yeah, it's a little, it's too much of opposites where it doesn't quite work. Or it's like, it kind of does, okay, kind of does with Scylla. Yeah. But then doesn't with Marin and doesn't with Lynn for me. Because with Marin, actually the funny thing is, with Marin, their first interaction, I remember Kel called him a super pretty boy. And I was like, ooh, maybe there's something there. Like, it kind of, like, sparked something. I was like, ooh, maybe a relationship. But then when he kissed Marin, I felt like there was no lead up to it. No, it just happened. It just happened. And I felt like there wasn't any emotions behind it. There wasn't a motivation, even, like, impulse. It didn't even really feel impulsive to me. It just kind of happened. And so I wasn't quite feeling the chemistry there. I even, I felt more of the chemistry with Scylla, honestly, just because they had the history. Yeah. And because they knew each other and they had that intimate knowledge of lovers and... Yeah, like, just the way that Kel describes it, like, he describes her body as familiar. Yeah, Which is a very intimate thing. Yeah, And he's very fond of her. Yes. Like, he he looks out, he seeks her out. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Lynn. I was telling Kami earlier, I really liked the idea of Kel having a platonic relationship with Lynn. Because I didn't feel like they quite had that spark. No. But then they kissed. They had that fake kiss to avoid being seen. I hated it so much. And it seemed like Lynn felt a lot from that kiss. Or at least was like provoked by that kiss. Mm-hmm. And 
And then it, I felt like because she was that he was. And then he reflected and he was like, oh, that kiss was better than I thought it was going to be. But then again, there was no emotion behind it. So I was like, what? There was, here's the thing. In terms of chemistry and all the, like, the players that are in Kelly's romantic journey, he has the most chemistry with Antonetta. Mm. He has, and then from, you know, top to bottom, it goes from Antonetta, Scylla, Marin, and I think Lynn is last. Yeah. It's too friendly. It's too friendly. I really, I really liked the fact that there could have been a book where you have your protagonist and there are two perspectives, one for each, and they weren't romantic interests. I thought that would be way more interesting because in a, in a book with a world as expansive as this one, that makes the most sense because you, they can't keep like meeting each other in terms of like romantic encounters because how is the plot going to be furthered with that? Yeah. But then that kiss, like I knew that was going to happen when like they were going into the maze Yes, like, into, I like, this dangerous but, setting. Yeah, particularly because he was like, I can't... Where she, like, she sought out Kellyanne to take her because she's a woman. She's an Ashikari woman going to a very shady criminal underground place. And he was just kind of like, yeah, I'll come protect you. So, like, from that, it's like, oh, you're protecting her. Is this a friendly thing? That's when you kind of started to doubt it. And I was like... This is leading up to some weird things. And then he did not have to kiss her is the thing. No. I mean, with Marin, like you said, it just kind of happened. But there was at least a little bit of lead up up to it where he was like, yeah, he's very pretty. You know, and like there was the whole thing of like how he wants to forget how Kelly wants to forget about the Ragpicker King and all that he said. And Marin just kind of like happened to be there, which I think was the intention. But like you said, it didn't feel very impulsive. It just kind of happened. But with Lynn... It was like, none of this was necessary. Yeah, for me with that scene in particular with Lynn, it wasn't the characters that had, like, the ongoings to me. It was just the context. Like, the context seemed romantic, but not because of the characters. Yeah. It's just because it's, like, a dangerous part of town and they're protecting each other. And so, like... In fantasy stories, usually that's when something happens between the two love interests. And so to me, it was more so the scenario that felt like it had the romantic timing. But then when they did kiss, I was like, wait, she's liking it? And it's going on long? And it was kind of an intimate kiss. It wasn't like they just pressed their mouths together just to pretend like they're... Like, it was... They were going at it in their little dark corner. Mm -hmm. But then nothing happened after that. Not between them physically. Not between them physically. There were thoughts of things where it could have led to something, but it was so ambiguous that you didn't quite know. Yes. And I think particularly where the, the scene where they kissed, she had to hide because she saw Orin. Yes. You know, another Ashkari person. And one, we never get an explanation as to why he was there. But I think that was also like a factor in the romantic context because this was a man who she had rejected in his proposal of marriage. Now she's seeing him. She wants to hide from him. Again, like you said, it's the romantic context. It's not actually what's between the characters. Well, and then this, so it was interesting too. When we first heard about the prophecy that the, the king, Connor's dad, tells Killian about how Killian has something that Connor wants and that it will ultimately lead Killian to killing Connor. 
At first I was like, yeah, I could mean like symbolism in terms of Kellyan has the freedom to do with his life and be unbound in ways that Connor cannot. But then after the the fake kiss, I was like, is it also going to be that like Kellyan has um, Lynn romantically, like they're in love and Connor has been pining after Lynn. And so then that's going to be what causes the frisson between them. I don't know. And then I know you read that differently. I did read it differently. I kind of read it more as, you know, because Lynn was having the dreams of the goddess and like her story and how everything came to be. And I thought that Connor was kind of like very similar to the goddess's lover, lover. Yes. in the mythology. Yes. And it was like bad for her. And I like brought down like the downfall of the sorcerer kings and of magic and everything else. And so I was like, this is fated. This is like fated to be doomed. It's kind of like history repeating itself. Yeah. And I was like, but that's really intriguing. Right. And I was like, I was kind of excited for it because like you like Connor. He's a very interesting character. Like you see his faults, but you see like when he's vulnerable and you feel for him and that whole thing. And I thought that was going to be, I was actually, that's the part I was excited for. Yes. Because I really like to see, like, the comparison between what happened in the past versus what's happening now. Because, like, through the... Before every chapter, there was, like, a little piece of the story. The lore. Happened, the lore, that the Ashkari lore. And in that story, you kind of, like, you're thinking, like, why would she ever love him? Like, you don't understand why the goddess loves the... The, the sorcerer king who seeks to destroy her kingdom. Yes. You don't understand it. But if, like, if we're comparing that to Lynn and Connor, you kind of get it. You, you see. can see the beginnings of it. Yes. And I really loved that. I didn't think that Kel had anything to do with it. I thought the prophecy would be a completely different thing. And I wanted it to be because I want them to just be friends. Just BFFs. Yes. <laughs> Best fantasy friends. Yeah, because I really liked Kel and Antonetta. The whole thing with like the locket and the fact that she kept like his little grass ring that he gave her. Right? Like, there's pining there. We love that. He always is looking for her. Like, boy, why are you making out with other people? I hate you so much right now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he always looks for her in a room, like you said. They have the history. They have the friends to lovers. They have the rejection, the hurt, the, the want for bitterness that doesn't last long when they talk to each other. And the class division, even Antonetta doesn't know it. Yes. And so I feel like there are there are a lot of things at play between the two of them that add to the int- to their the interest of their romance, but then they also have that chemistry, and I feel like that's that's the difference to me between the other relationships. Like Kel and Marin, I think they needed to bond more over Marin's revenge and his family history, and I and I think if that was to blossom into a romance, that they need to kind of build a relationship based on that first like hey i know the nobles i know the pain they cause i can help you you know like comforting that turns into something more but i felt like the context surrounding marin and kel didn't quite have the kinetic energy that antoinette and kel had same with lynn and kel where again i felt like they were more potent as friends they didn't have like the churning of the romantic tension so then i was like antoinette is clearly the woman of your heart. You are clearly so devoted to her, even if you don't necessarily admit it. And he always wonders after her too. And she's the one that he doesn't betray. So I don't know. 
But, I mean, there was also the thing where Kellyanne thought that Antoinette liked Connor. And so, like, that was, like, a part of his, like, angst and, like, his his regret with that as well. And so, but Connor wasn't, like, really a part of that. That was really part just him and Antoinette. But I, I liked that that was, like, the only thing. Right? I don't want there to, I don't want there to be more division between Connor and Kellyanne. I think there will be, though. Because even Connor, when Kellyanne returns back to the bedchamber and he sees that Connor had had a night with oh my gosh, I was like, oh, is that kind of foreshadow? Because Scylla looks like Lynn, Lynn, and Lynn is kind of like Scylla's kind of a figure between Connor and Kel, and Connor knows how much Kel has really liked Scylla, and they have a relationship, and they have again those years between them. You know, and yet he still stole her in a sense. I think it's, in- I mean, yes. I think that scene had significance because Connor did know that Kellyanne had kind of had a fondness for Scylla. But that fondness is undermined by his ambiguity in terms of romance with Marin and Lynn. Because mm. it's kind of like, but are you really serious about it? Like, is Connor really like overstepping his boundaries by doing this? Or because kind of seem to give it to everybody yeah how much does it matter to you or does it matter yeah Mm. because in terms of like Scylla I didn't really feel like the betrayal in like there wasn't really betrayal I didn't feel it from her but I definitely felt it between Connor and Kel well kind of but it wasn't because of Scylla it was because Kel originally thought it was Lynn I think is what kind of caused that oh which is an issue for me because I didn't want there to be because I don't oh. want Lynn to come between them. Because in that scene, he thinks he like he sees red hair and he sees a feminine like he's like Lynn, and he kind of like stops. And it's like, but why would you react like that? And, and and yeah, why? Because I know that they again had that kiss. I know I'm mentioning the kiss a lot, but there wasn't really like they reminisced reminisced like a sentence or two, but yeah. not really much more than that. And so, yeah, it was like, was he surprised or wasn't emotional? Like, was he like, Lynn, like my heart? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. The only other time they bonded was when they protected Louisa from the nobles at the Roverge house. Yes. And that wasn't really romantic. That was just like, we're helping a child who was humiliated. And again, actually felt super friendly to me. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we both are from class systems outside of this gilded debauchery. Mm -hmm. And so we can see when someone's truly suffering. And so we're, we're acting. Yeah. It didn't feel romantic to me at all. But I feel like as we're on the topic of relationships and romantic entanglements, Mm -hmm. I feel like we have to talk about Connor and Lynn. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know if I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like them more than any of, of the other ships that we have. But see, here's the thing. Connor is very selfish. But in terms of characters, like we said, I, I really like him as a character. Lynn's falls short, particularly because of her outspokenness that we've talked that we talked about in the recommendation. Because she's just completely defiant towards him. But for a person in her position, she shouldn't be. Well, it's just unwise. Well, it's just kind of unrealistic because the repercussions are too great. Yes. Like, if she did it once, I can understand if she snapped at him once. Particularly because in... Particularly in the situation where she was healing Kel. Because in 
in terms of life and death, the person who has the most, the most power is a physician. Right? So there was a bit more of a power balance in that situation. But she keeps acting like that to him. The entire time, it doesn't matter what's happening. Whenever she interacts with Connor, she is like that. And it's like, no, you are supposed to be at the lowest of the low in terms of class. I mean, not that she is, you know, but just in terms of like the world that was built. Yeah, I do wish that there maybe been, I think, especially in the royal context, because so with Connor, um, with her being defiant toward him, I, I, I don't mind it as much when she was in her physician position. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's physician close. Position. <laughs> because like you said, it's life is in their hands. You trust that person enough in that situation where you heed their command. But I feel like afterward, it needed to be built up to that defiance. So maybe first she kind of like silently, wordlessly defies him. Like maybe she doesn't bow as low as she should. Or maybe like when he turns away, she, you know, scrunches her face in anger. You know, not obviously exactly like this, but slights against him that aren't without words. So she can't technically be punished. And then maybe she sees that Kel is friendly with him and defies him or contradicts him. Or maybe like the more she sees him, the fiercer she gets because she just can't contain it. But it's a little too unleashed at the beginning where realistically, I think you would feel like if I speak out or do anything, I'm going to die because that is the reality of the situation. He holds all the power and on a whim, he could end your life or he could punish you significantly. He could punish her people. He could punish her people. He is the future ruler of the country that is oppressing her people. She like, if you were in that position, you would know that. So that's where it felt like it was more for romantic purposes yeah. than for the purpose of the world or the context. But I will say overall, I think Connor's my favorite character. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you see way more of his faults than his goodness. Mm-hmm. And yet it's those slight pieces of goodness that you're like, huh, now I see why Kel is loyal to him. Mm-hmm. Now I see, you know, like when he was a little kid and he asked Kel, if he wanted to be the sword catcher. Yeah. He didn't command it. And he even told Lynn, he's like, oh, you think I basically commanded Kel to be my sword catcher? You know, like there's that underlining feeling of I want to be better. Or at least there's some little glimmer in him. Yeah. So I found him super interesting. And I did think that their relationship was angsty. I did feel like it had that passion. It had that emotion. It had the... You know, we have to play this differently in public, but then we're alone, we're different. And, oh, we have these desires that we shouldn't, and it's like the fables and the lore and the stories, and the goddess is falling for the wrong king, or the king who's set to destroy her, and yet, in this moment, it feels inevitable. And so I liked that there was kind of this pull toward each other, but then the breakaway with the world and the context and the royalty and the politics... But that, again, they did have that draw. But then sometimes Connor could, could be so cruel. And he was like, I've already forgotten you. But then he's back. And I'm like, no, you didn't, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had that pull and that push, which I found super drawing. I really liked that. I really looked forward to those scenes because they were unpredictable. But then they did have, they, they drew my interest. But I don't, I don't know how it's going to continue. Yeah. I, I'm curious how it's continued. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I don't know. In 
I'm curious how it will continue, but I don't quite know. I can't quite sense the direction I think it will continue. I thought it was interesting, particularly because, one, Lynn is probably the fur- like the woman furthest from Connor's candidates in terms of, like, commitment. Mm. One, because she's Ashkari, you know, all of that. She's a healer. They're basically completely different worlds. Again, he's... The crowned cr- prince. He's a crown prince. Like, he has the power to kill all of her people. That kind of a thing. Um, but I also thought it was interesting in terms of the fact that he was already betrothed. Mm. And how he was kind of, like, taking it as... Mistressy? Mistressy. Because you, you think about that, you're like, wait, but he's betrothed to a princess. So, like, if Lynn, if something does happen with Lynn, like, what's her position going to be? And that kind of gets thrown out the window when Louise is murdered. <laughs> oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh, yeah, I, we're reading adult fantasy. I forgot that terrible <laughs> things, really terrible things happen. And so I think, I, I do wonder what's going to happen with that in terms of the romance. I do also wonder if... Mayesh, Lynn's grandfather, retirement as position, as his position as counselor to the king is going to have anything to do with it too. Mm. Well, and also her kind of taking on the name and power of a goddess at the end. That too. Which I have thoughts on. I do have thoughts on that too. But I mean, in ter- but in terms of the relationship, like there are factors in it where I can see it becoming more. Like I see the potential for that. Even if I don't know... Like, I like the chemistry. I do think they have chemistry. Yes. Like you said, they have, like, a push and pull. But I don't know if I want to like their relationship. But I also kind of like that I don't want to like it. Yes. Because there's something... Not sinister, but there's, like... There's a feeling of doom to it. Because there doesn't feel like in in your mind there's a way for it to work out. He's too selfish. He's the king. You know, she's... She's everything he can't have. And can't want. And and in his world, she's wrong. And so, I don't know. It's like, there is kind of this persuasive nature to it. Where I'm like, what if, you know, like, she's going to be a goddess now. So, she has kind of like a raisin standing. <laughs> you know, does that change things? Yeah. Does that make him, you know, it, I'm curious. I'm intrigued. I will say they're kissing wasn't bad no it was hot it, it was it was hot it, it was passionate i was like no this is this is way better they're in a secluded corridor he tracks her down and then they're broken apart because they think they hear oh i love those kind of moments but i think it was also just like what preceded that the fact that he like he kind of forced her to do which not great no no that part was not great no you don't condone this no but the fact that he was also attracted to her before and he, it was kind of like couldn't control himself and was being drawn to her yes because at first when she came into the room he really kind of passed over her and didn't talk about her but you could literally feel in the book even though it wasn't said that he was watching her he was he was being drawn in and he like he like connor himself knows that he he's attracted to them but he doesn't want to be but it was him like losing that control of being able to ignore her and then even though he shouldn't have gone after her because why would a prince go after this girl that he doesn't care about he does. And it was public. Like, people would have seen that. 
And so, I don't know, I think it was that. And then, like, oh, it's private, secret. Oh, no, we can't do this. Oh, we're kissing, you know. Like, they were kissing. They were kissing for a while, too. Mm -hmm. And then that noise, they get interrupted. And then reality kind of comes back. And then she flinches back from him. Yeah. That, no, I liked. I liked that it wasn't just, like, oh, we're immediately going to go into our feelings. It was, no, this is our reality. Yeah, it's. The rea- like the reality check, but then, you know, he, but then with him, it's interesting because he's almost a little naive. Like he does go to give her those books. He tracked down those books. He, he paid for those books because he had, he had listened. He had heard her mention it. He thought it would make her day. But then, you know, he does give them to her. He doesn't realize like the public eye and the interpretation of what that could be. And so then she gets mad at him and he's like, no, I did a good thing. I gave you, and there's, it's so kind of bratty of him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you see like that really strange glimmer of goodness in him. And you're like, (laughs) his intentions are good though. It's very interesting. It's intriguing. It draws you in. But it's because it's also that the consistency in Connor's character. Yeah. Because he does things that he thinks is good without thinking about the repercussions. Yes. Yes. You see that with Lynn, you see that with Kelly. Connor is a very interesting character. He is so interesting because I, you do kind of hate him. You do. But then you're like, it's like the kombucha girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but while we were kind of like going near the topic, what did you think? I mean, should we go into the ending? Let's just do it. Let's do it. Yeah. We're on a journey. Join yeah. us. <laughs> with Lynn kind of falsely, question mark professing that she's the goddess the reincarnation of the goddess adasa yes i believe so what'd you think love the concept yes but i did not feel like there was much build up to oh it. my gosh yes <laughs> oh my even with the source stone yes i wish that lynn had found the source stone or bartered for it or came across it rather than it being given to her by a character who's quickly taken off screen because that to me was a little too sudden when it's too important of an item, when it's an item that's so important to her people and was their very power source. And so I wish that she had come across it, that it had been her actions that had really led her to it. Because her as a physician making a house call isn't enough to me. No. There's not much decision in that. And so I think that was the main thing with the ending for me with her is I wanted it to be more decisive. I wanted, like you said, to see her thought process. I wish that maybe she had been the one reading the lore throughout the book. And so she's re- she's realizing, you know, Adasa's journey and what she did and her sacrifices and what she had to go through. And that with the dreams, she's questioning them. She's realizing them more. She's questioning within herself, you know, I have this stone. I have these dreams. Am I something more? That's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was like, with all the dreams she's having, I mean, is anyone with a source stone going to have those dreams? Probably not. I'm assuming at least, right? So like, because like, Carey was building the fact that, like, kind of, like, alluding to the fact that Lynn was going to be the goddess at the end. Yes. But for her to, like, kind of falsely profess it without that thought process kind of just throws you for the loop. Well, I think one of the hardest parts, too, is that we didn't know that part of the tradition until right at the tradition. Yes. So if we had known way earlier in the story that the girls are asked if they're the goddess and then they say no because they're not and they leave, then I could see, I could probably catch on as the reader that there's going to be a plan that Lynn forms of her pretending to be the goddess. But there wasn't that. And so when I was learning that information, it was too quick for me to even appreciate what she was going to do. 
So I think that was the hard thing is that I liked the idea. Yeah. But there wasn't enough decision making or action put into it. It seemed too spontaneous when it's too big a deal. Like you're gonna impersonate a goddess. I, I want a little bit more time put into that. And I feel like too with, is it Mariam? Mariam? I say Mariam. Mariam. Is that I did appreciate that Mariam was a big focus for Lynn at the beginning of the story. They have this close friendship. Lynn is obviously willing to do a lot for her. They have that bond. They kind of have that sisterhood. But I feel like after probably the first third of the book that Mariam really dipped in and out of the book. They stopped talking to each other. They stopped confessing to each other. Lynn starts keeping secrets from her, which I don't mind because I know that adds to tension and that adds to potential conflict in the future. But Mariam for me really needed to keep as a priority. We needed to see that her, that Lynn's secrets were hurting Mariam, that Mariam was calling her out, that Mariam is getting sicker and sicker and Lynn is keeping going and going and she's not by her side and that there's this divide between them when Mariam needs her most. You know, things like that, that can really add to that relationship and keep it in focus. I felt like the more that Connor played into things and the whole royal aspect in Lynn's storyline, that we lost the core of Lynn's love, which is Mariam. I actually, I completely agree with that. With the whole thing of Antoinetta sneaking Lynn into the palace to check on Kel, and the fact that Mariam was like kind of like her source for that, I was like, oh, okay, now we're bringing her more into the story instead of her just being like a motivation. But like you said, she kind of, after that, she just dipped in and out. So it's like, mm, no, you started to use her, like keep using her. Yes. I will give props to the ending, though, with the mention of the gunpowder on the ships blowing up. Oh, that was good. That yeah. was brought up. It yes. was brought up not too much, but just enough where it's on your mind. And so then it's not, it doesn't feel sudden mm -hmm. that it happens. You know that it's going to occur then. And that was smart. Yes. But you want to see the thought process behind it. Yes. So did you feel like... Because as Lynn is having her fake goddess moment, mm -hmm. <laughs> Killian and Connor are having a grand old time. Oh my god! They're in battle. Oh my god! Everyone's dying. Poor Louise is dead. Sweetest girl. Oh my goodness! Can Edward, we please protect her? Oh gosh! Oh. oh no no no! Okay, before we get to that, can we please talk about my favorite scene in the book? Oh yes yes yes! It it ties in. I promise. No no no! Yes, you go you go. The moment so like. This was about halfway through the book, a little bit, a little bit beyond that. But like you, like I didn't expect much from the next scene with like the big gathering of like all the people in the public and the nobles welcoming the princess. I was like, oh, she's just probably she's gonna be part of more debauchery, whatever. And she's gonna be the most beautiful lady in the world because we've already heard descriptions of her. But then things took a turn because it wasn't the princess, but her little twelve-year-old sister who stepped out. And you're like, Sarth is giving him a child. Yeah. Oh. It was so bad, but it was so good in terms of like politically. Political intrigue. Are you freaking kidding me? Like the backstabbing, mm -hmm. like the manipulation of Connor's weakness and his debt. Yeah. Oh my god. The slight against him and his country. It's mm -hmm. super insulting. It's so insulting, but they can't do anything about it. Yes. And they or risk war, basically. Or risk war or hurt the child. Yeah. But the whole thing, but the, the, the entire way that scene was set, I when that happened, I literally went, oh, 
shit. Oh, oh, things are happening. And I immediately got right back into the story. Yeah. Because it was also like the nobles' reactions, like the public's reactions, like Kel having to like jump down and like go to Connor's side and be like, she's a child. Do not do anything. The fact that like once Connor figures out that the princess can't speak his language, he goes, what are you doing to me, you bitch? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, hi. Okay, what the heck? <laughs> That, the whole, like, that whole scene was just so well done. And it just, like you said, Cassandra Clare has a, well, a way of enveloping. And, like, this was, like, the pinnacle. I was so in it. Well, and the fact, too, that it made Connor look super weak in the eyes of his people. Already he was betrothing to himself to a country that was not favored in their eyes because of their histories. Then, you know, like you said, he only made this proposal because he was in debt. And so now his position has been weakened politically so immensely. It's such a bad look on him. It makes him look, it really, he doesn't look great as the next king. Particularly also because he had just been whipped by the king for making such a stupid decision and doing it by himself without any, like, advice or going to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was super surprising, but it wasn't, again, surprising where it came out of nowhere. I, it was the type of political intrigue that I love. It was slight. It was unsaid. It was insulting. You can't react. You have to put your mask on, but the pieces are moving, and this was a big move to make. Oh, it was so good. My favorite scene by far. Well, then I loved, too, how... You know, you have Louise, who's the sweet little girl, doesn't know the lion's den, literally, that she just went into. You have her protector, Vivian. I liked how they brought up. Vivian. Oh, was it Vivian? I think so. And I think her name's Louisa. Oh my gosh, guys. <laughs> guys, I swear I read the book. Okay, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, How Louisa and Vivian, Kellyanne could relate to Vivian. Because they both have someone very precious to them that they want to protect. And that they'd go any lengths to to protect. And then Louisa, how Kel sees himself in her. Because there are these children taken from one circumstance and put into another. Into basically like a den of vipers. And they don't mean know it. They're too innocent to know. And how Kel, when he's impersonating Connors, too nice to Louisa. Because he can't do it. He can't be mean to her. And Vienna's like, you're different tonight. And then, you know, Connor stumbling and drunk and he wants to switch places and they both look like each other. And, you know, you know, the scenes after that moment, too, I felt like the cascade afterward of just what this political move did, not only for the plot, but for the characters, the different aspects it brought out in them, the questions it made them ask. Uh, but that also made me surprised by Luisa's death. Yes. Because... The scene at the Roverge house where they're having the welcoming party, they were expecting an adult, so it was very scandalous. Like, yes. it was not appropriate for a child. And so, and how nobody was stopping it. Oh, you it was know? so terrible. It was so terrible. But, it like, you kind of understand because, of, like, you are a slight on our kingdom. If your kingdom wants to send you, a child, into here, we're going to make them regret it. We're basically punishing you to punish your kingdom. It's terrible. But you kind of understand. You can see in a political view. In a political view, yes. In a moral view, no. <laughs> I don't condone it. <laughs> no, and you see how, like, Connor doesn't necessarily do anything cruel directly to Louisa, but he's very neglectful, and he's like, no, I'm going to let this happen. 
and like he forces her to dance. Oh, I was like, she's just a kid. She's just a kid. And I honestly thought like throughout that whole scene with like her dancing, Lynn kind of stepping up and like taking position, Kelly and taking her away. Like I thought that was a really good um, scene to kind of illustrate the complexities and the tragedies of politics and how like a child is just like an innocent child is just being taken and like dragged through all of this and so when she died i was really surprised i was surprised when she died well just because you always hope that children (laughs) are safe in stories yeah and so when she died i was like she's just an innocent she didn't know and connor aka kel had just been nice to her you know she's just this very pure little sweetheart caught up her own kingdom sacrificed her and they didn't care She'll have no friends in this new world. No one to care and look after her. No one to, to, they basically just expect her to just walk through thorns. And then she died. And then Vienne, who would do anything to protect her, has only ever wanted to protect her. Couldn't, hadn't. And she's dead. And then Vienne, you know, goes ham. She goes on a rampage. She goes on a rampage. And then she dies. By King Marcus's hand. Yeah. Because she's going to go after Connor. I mean, is it completely... Irrational to blame Connor, not necessarily. No, it's yeah. actually technically your own kingdom. Fault. No, she should have been mad at her own kingdom. Yes, and the fact that Con- like Connor was very serious and he was like, "We're gonna find like whoever did it." So in that in that situation, like you're like, Vienne shouldn't have been mad at him, but she was very emotional, especially when she like goes after him and King Marcus like picks her up and just throws her. Oh, ow! It was so. Oh, I felt that one too. Well, because also too, like you said. Even though it wasn't the smartest decision, you understand it. You see the haze of anger and the emotion. The fact that she, in her mind, loved this little girl so much that, no, there's nothing else. Why would I keep fighting? You know, why would I Why would I align myself with your kingdom? You brought her here. You were cruel to her. And now she's dead because I'm now associating it with you. Yeah. And then, oh, I was so sad when she died. I, I was not expecting it, but I was like, but this does open a lot of doors in yes. terms of you know, war in terms of romance, sadly. <laughs> but I, I was interested and I was like, I thought that the book should have just ended there. Me too. Because then he kind of ends at a place where like Connor's taken with his parents to like a safe place because they're the royalty and Kel kind of goes off to see the Rack Parker King, but then he's stopped by Jolly Vet. And like, they kind of have a discussion where you're kind of like, oh, he's going to like, he knows everything. He's going to confront him, but it doesn't, quite happen like that and he's like i need to use you but there wasn't like anything really to kind of back that up in terms of the story it was like i kind of understood the underlining but not enough no there needed to be more build up particularly to that moment and then we end like the book ends with kelly and talking to the rag picker king andrean and that was such a weird place for me i was like why are you ending it here that was just it just it wasn't necessarily abrupt. It was just the wrong moment. I, I th- do think that, like you said, that the the assassination and the battle and the that commotion, I think would have been a good cliffhanger ending moment where you go, oh gosh, what's going to happen next? There's so many different pathways that this could go. And then the second book could maybe open up with that scene with the Ragpicker King. Ragpicker King. Ragpicker. Um, and I do think it would have been a little stronger because it was such a high in terms of plot. It was such a climax that I think 
that excitement could have carried on. It's not that I don't like where it ended, but I do agree with you where I think that scene would have had a little bit more punch, a little bit more what's going to happen next. But in talking about the Rag Picker King, I'm curious what you thought about him. He needed a, more of a place in the story. It was kind of like he he kind of came in and was like really significant, and then he came out and never quite came back in. Well, he never quite to delivered information. Yeah. He supposedly, well, I mean, his reputation is that he has all these contacts, all these criminals. He can do anything, hears any, knows everything, basically. But we never get any information from him, really, or any really pertinent or helpful or plot-dependent information from him. No. And for me, with the Rag Picker King, I wanted him to feel much more dangerous. Yes. I was never really scared of him. I never feared for the characters when they were with him. I understand kind of like the gentleman villain, but I didn't feel the edge to him. Nope. I didn't have that sharpness like, oh, he really could turn on a threat or like, oh, he really might kill Kel or even Lynn or, you know, like they see him do something to someone else. He was too casual. It seemed he was he was a little too friendly to me. I just didn't quite see, he the with the reputation. I just wanted a little bit more from him. And I think that was very apparent particularly in how easy it was for Lynn to kind of do his bidding yes I was like girl why are you just doing whatever he tells you to because that puts you in a really dangerous position already you're an Ashkar woman which Mm -hmm. puts you in a dangerous position and you're a female physician which puts you in a dangerous position the last thing you should want to do is align yourself with the rag picker king because that's just a very dangerous world to enter into, but it's never really a dangerous world to enter into. Cause you don't feel it. Like if he had manipulated her into it, that would have made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. With Cal, like you understand like, cause like he doesn't want to be associated with him, but he does have information about royalty. Like that, that made sense. Yes. But the whole thing with him and Lynn didn't. Well, and, and I, we got hints of his motivation, but again, they, his motivations never felt pressing. Never like, hey, I need a timeline for this or this will happen. You know, it, it was too... Um, wishy-washy? It was, yeah, too wishy-washy, too like, oh, it can happen at any time. Like, there was no deadline on it. So it didn't feel important or it didn't feel like it needed to happen now. Which I feel like if he is this ragpicker king, the king of criminals, that it's all about timing. It's all about speeds, about who can do it the fastest. If you can't do it, I'm going to find another Ashkar who can... And I don't care if you have the sword stone now and it will be mine. You know, I will kill you if I have to. But he he didn't have the level threat to me. At least I didn't sense it. No, I didn't feel it either. And I think it's because he also didn't have anything active in the plot. Mm, mm. Right? There was nothing like he was trying to gain. There was nothing. There's not like a project that he was working on. There was no like the only thing that he was sort of involved in was like the the revenge plot against the Roverge fleet. Yes. And he even then, like he wasn't directly he was more so aligned. supplying the black powder, but he wasn't really orchestrating it otherwise. No, he wasn't really orchestrating anything active in the plot when he should have been, since he is in a very important position. I actually thought the Ragpicker King was going to be Kel's friend from the orphanage. Oh, I thought that too! And I was like, okay, I'm kind of excited for him to like meet him and like... Because he said that he kind of felt familiar, and I was yes. like, okay, okay. When I thought too... Oh, sorry, keep mm-hmm. going. 
Oh, because they had played together when they were kids, and mm-hmm. I think they had talked about the rag picker keen becoming or something. crawlers. Yeah, becoming crawlers, and so I actually felt like that was leading into it. Yeah. But but anyway, so you continue with what you were saying. And so that's how I thought she was going to bring him more into the story, because like, oh, Kel knows him. That's And because he's a part of, he was a part of his life before Connor and everything, he's going to feel a bond to him because he's very loyal, and that's why he's going to start like doing things that he asks, because he'll be... Will be between one friend and another. Yes. And I thought that would have been very interesting. But now it kind of seems like Kel's friend, who, who will make a comeback, most likely. Most likely. Is actually Jared. Yeah. Yeah. After the Ragpurger King was unmasked, basically, mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. Because Jared had the, the mask, the silver mask. Yeah, the silver mask. He kind of had, like, the brown hair... You know, we don't really know if he has freckles like his friend, but just like based on age, based on like kind of like how they interact, you kind of think, oh, well, this is like the way that Jared or his friend, I forget his name at the beginning of the book, but his friend yeah. would have maybe ended up in, like, that's what you think. I kind of preferred if he had been the rag picker king. I did want him to be the rag picker king because then it would test Kel. It would kind of divide his loyalties more. Yeah. I think I would have even liked it if, the Ragpicker King had double-crossed Kel. Yeah. Or something like that, you know, maybe even to their mutual benefit, but in the moment it feels like a betrayal, or even something like that. I would have loved it if he had something against Antoinetta. Oh, yeah. That would have been really good. We are now going to be playing How Would You Survive? and potentially other questions because not all of them are based on survival because they can be hard to come up with. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we have four minutes to pose four survival scenarios that pertain to Swordcatcher. This one will be quick, I promise. We cannot guarantee. No, I can. I'll be so quick, I promise. <laughs> Question one. If you were a Swordcatcher, what would you do if the Crowned Prince was in danger? Say, in an attack, like at the end of the book. I would handcuff us. Like, Kel's issue... <laughs> Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, he he kind of, like, moved without thinking when Vien was coming after Connor. And, like, he, he was like, yeah, I'm going to die here. And, like, Connor, you could hear him, like, wanting to go to him. It was a pretty good moment. <laughs> But I was like, he kept leaving him. And I was like, I'm sorry. You're, this The entire time your priority was Connor. But when it counts, you leave him? No. Stay with him at all times. True. I, yeah, handcuffing's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would just shadow every... I, I'd just be a shadow everywhere. Even at the brothel, I wouldn't go have my brothel time. I would just stay with Connor in his brothel time, which is actually a little awkward <laughs> if you think about you it. You just, like, sit in a corner and be like... I'll, I'll just be at my stool. I'm like, don't worry. I'm <laughs> I'm closing my eyes and plugging my ears. La, 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 la. <laughs> but yeah, because the main problem was that usually things went bad when Connor was left to his own devices, yeah. which is kind of the same with me. <laughs> but <laughs> Connor has an actual guardian. In the book, Lynn is trying to discover more information about the source stone. How would you try to unlock its abilities? I would just, I think I would just keep trying to heal people and just warm that little stone up. 
Because I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to draw any attentions by pulling any books that are ancient enough to warrant attention who have that powerful information. So I think I just would try to use the stone as secretly but frequently as I could to learn its maximum abilities, what it takes from me. You know, I'd, I'd perform little experiments on it. Yeah, I think Lynn really disregarded her feelings when she was using the stone. And I was like, girl, all magic is is feelings. <laughs> Listen to your heart. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I mean, she she did kind of try to do this and kind of replicating, like, the instances in which she did use the stone. But I was like, I would keep it, like, on my purse, like, close to my skin. Because mm-hmm. if she's feeling it in, like, her heart, I think was what she was feeling. Listen to your heart. Exactly. I would keep it there. Or, like, I would, like, be, like, meditating with it, like, Obviously, based on the lore, it's very much based on your feelings. Do that. <laughs> and I would keep it out of sight, too. That, too. Why is she showing it to so many freaking people? Or, like, if I was wearing it, I'd put it in a necklace underneath my shirt. You know, just so yeah. that no one sees it. Because yeah. it's very powerful. I mean, a dude died because of it. Yeah. So. Question number three. If you were Prince Connor, would you let yourself fall prey to romance? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> if I know anything about myself, no matter in what situation I was in, I would always fall prey to romance. It is my weakness. Okay? I'm such a sucker for pining and chin holding and like soft, like pinky going into hand holding. Like, yeah. I'm such a sucker for that. And then <laughs> there's this one post on Pinterest that I saw where they were like, I think I could survive hell if I had a crush on someone there. And I completely understand. I think I got through junior high because of the cru- like the crushes I would have on people. I Yes, the answer is yes. For me, I think I'd be like, no, I wouldn't fall prey to love. But then that one person would come in and I'd be like, okay, who cares about the kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> There's open-chestedness. And there's a studious gaze, and there's hair feathering into the eyes, and we keep meeting up in secret alcoves, and oh no, someone is shooting an arrow at him. I intercede. I take the blow on my shoulder. He reses me. (laughs) (laughs) And we live happily ever after. Exactly. I I like how you try to deny it, and I'm like, I can't even do that. Now, in general, how do you think you'd fare while navigating treacherous kingdom politics? This is the thing. I actually think, and not to sound cocky, I think I'd fare well, but there would be one person I put too much trust in, and they would betray me, and it'd break my heart, and the betrayal would be something big, and it'd topple my empire and topple my house. It would put me in dishonor, and then my life would be ruined. Yeah, because I, you know what? With both of us, I think we're pretty good at picking up, like, underlying intentions and social cues and all of those things. Like we're pretty good at like kind of like navigating like people's behaviors and like how they react to things. But I just don't like being put into confrontational situations. True. And so like, I think I would be kind of like the Joss where like, I know everything, but I wouldn't want to get involved. (laughs) I would just be like the person who's standing outside of the social circle. Just my head peeking in. Like, Hey guys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in in some aspects, I think I would do okay, but in others, and like actually doing something about it, that's when it, that's where I'd 
kind of not doing great. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth book discussion about Swordcatcher by Cassandra Clare. We hope that you will join us in our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, happens.